amen. And um, just uh, note that if you haven't also signed up on our newsletter that's going out Thursdays, um, you want to jump on there. It's a really neat thing. And um, we also want to take a moment and pray for the fire victims. Isn't that, isn't that weird to just, what, 20, 30 miles away from us? Some of you closer, some of you a little farther. The largest fire in California history in a day and a half. Last I heard, it was 2,000 homes and 240 businesses. 6,000 homes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's right. It was Red, Redding that had 2,000. 6,000 homes. 6,400 and 240 businesses. 70 businesses? Oh, 270 businesses. Wow. Okay, so, so far, 6,400 homes, 270 businesses. What's that? And 23 dead. And 100 still missing. You know, I, this is a little unusual, but we're in need, aren't we? Would you mind, those who can, let's just get on our knees and let's just pray for those today. <laughs> Kurt, I'm going to ask you to come up here. Kevin, would you come up here too? Come up here, would you? You guys just pray. Go ahead. Lord, uh, our hearts are broken for, uh, for paradise, Lord. For our brothers and sisters there, we uh, thank you for every one of them. And we thank you that uh, the state of their heart is so great. And the church is reaching out there. And so many stories we've heard about their attitude of gratitude for the state they're in. Those that have been moved, that something has been said to as many as 50,000 people had to be moved down that hill. And the community was 27,000. So a great work has been done. You're doing a great work in all this, Lord. And only you give beauty for ashes. And there's some ashes, Lord. We, we saw them yesterday of people's homes coming down on us. And so we're asking for great grace on those, Lord, who have uh, family members that have died. Great mercy upon them. Would you comfort? Would you heal them? Only as you can, Lord. Only you can heal the brokenhearted. But you do that. It's your ministry. Do it, Lord God, and, and provide. And thank you for people that are stopping and reprioritizing their lives to step in. And the man that started just buying stuff and bringing it. Uh, air beds for people to lay on and sleep. And so, Lord, minister in any way we can help out, Lord, help us help out. But would you intervene in every life and many lives that, that some would be able to say it was that fire that brought me to Christ? Would that be able to be happening, Lord, with them and, and others? Lord, just so many needs, Lord, we're just asking uh, just for you to move in a, in a great way. And we know you are. And just continue, Lord, and continue to Lord, do great things. Help Pastor Dave Sweet losing his house and Pastor Bob Scott losing his house and so many at Calvary Chapel Paradise losing homes and, and probably loved ones uh, that we don't even know all the count yet, but you do, Lord. And so uh, you're a great God and we thank you for who you are and, and minister and move in as only you can, Lord, and bless your people as only you can. It's such a devastating time and and we just thank you for what you're doing, what you will do out of this. And in all these fires, even the Reading fires, the other ones that have already happened. But thank you, Lord God, for uh, being our Lord, our God, and being the great Savior that you are. So, Lord, just move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name. Yes, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Please, Lord, help us. Have mercy upon us and use us. In Jesus' name, break your word for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So... The only thing we've been asked for was some blankets and tents and waters, and we did that. But it's sort of like with Redding. Um, it takes several months, maybe even a year, to sort out the different governmental aid and insurances and all of that. And if we try to help out now, the government asks, did anybody help you out? And then they just subtract it from what the government would have gave them anyway. So... It, it, the, the time to give is going to be in a year from now. We are, some people are giving. We're just saving that money up. And, um, and then when it comes, we're going to try to adopt uh, some families 
and uh, one, two, three, four, whatever our heart is able to give. Um, our willingness is to help everybody, um, but we're going to narrow it down and ask the Lord to give us wisdom, and we're going to help build some houses or buy some furniture or whatever uh, we can do within our ability as a church. Amen? Well, today I would like to look at 1 Samuel 23, and I'd like to talk about one of the most famous veterans <laughs> on this veteran weekend. God bless all of you who have served to left homes, families, to go off and put yourself in harm's way. That freedom could reign not only here in our country, but uh, to have our mandate as a country to help those who are, their freedoms are being taken away or desire freedom under oppression. Well, David was such a man. David was sort of a famous veteran. And we learn there in 23, verse 1, they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kaliah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Now, let me take you back just a little bit. Jonathan told David, Dad's not going to change his mind. You need to run and run fast. And David didn't pray about it. Didn't, he just, knee-jerk reaction, he ran to the tabernacle, and he talks to the high priest, and he's just like, do you have any bread? Do you have any weapons? Do you, you know, freaking out. He gets the sword of Goliath, runs to Gath, and there he realizes this was very stupid. They're going to kill me. They, we know from the Psalms they put him in jail, but when he came before the king of Gath, he started slobbering and acting like a madman. And they said, get him out of here. And from there, David went to the cave of Adullam, sort of in no man's land between the Philistine country and the children of Israel. Now, it is the promised land, but yet at that time, it was often taken over by the Philistines, and then the Israel would push back and take it over, and pretty much it wasn't a safe place to be. But in this cave of Adullam, David camped out there, and his family came out to meet him, and he realizes, I got to get you guys in a better place. So he goes over to Moab, which is his cousins. His great-grandmother was Ruth the Moabitess, a great woman of faith. There's a book in the Bible about her. And he's hanging out with the family there. But at this time, he has 400 mighty men with them that also gathered. And God said, David, you can't stay here. I know it's sweet. <laughs> but you need to go back and live in the middle of it. I want you to go back to Judah. Not, not out on the fringes this time. I want you to go back into the area, not too far from where Saul lives, where the armies of Israel are. This is my command. And David, by faith, got up and he went. Now, one of the cities on the outskirts of Israel that often would be the first city to be attacked was these towns such as Kaliah. And what they would do is the Philistines would wait until they did all the work of gathering all the wheat and, and stomping it out, pulling away the chaff from the wheat. And when everything was ready, then they would come in and still it. Do you remember that happened with Gideon? Remember the guy who ended up with 300 guys when he wanted thousands? And, and it was the Midianites doing that in a whole nother area of Israel at that time. And so most likely, this is my speculation, their first thought would have been go to Saul. Remember Saul, he's done that before. Cities were under siege and he took his armies and delivered them. My guess is Saul was uninterested. So their second thought was, plan B, let's go see David can help. And of course, 400, and actually it had grown sort of to 600 men by that time, against the whole nation of the Philistines who had spectacular men and giants. And, and uh, 
Let's see if he'll help us out. David said, no more knee-jerk reactions. I ran to the tabernacle, and I talked to the high priest, and then, oh, Doag was there, and the whole city of the priests were killed. I ran to Gath, and boy, I tempted the Lord God, and that's stupid of me to do that. And, and so my ideas are getting me in a mess. Boy, David's son Solomon got it right when he quoted dad in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Under your own understanding. One more. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. I'm sure dad sort of drove that in to his very wise son as he grew up. And it's a good verse to keep in mind, and that's why all our Sunday school teachers drilled it into us evidently, right? <laughs> and of course, the next part is on tithing, so maybe the pastor has helped you on that one too. I don't know. <laughs> but now notice in verse 2, So therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Kaliah. So David's ready now to give this word to the guys. They were pretty happy at Adullam, and then they had to go to Moab. They were quite happy at Moab, and now they're in the middle of Judah, and this is not so good. And so he's got to bring this word out, not a popular word. And David said to his men, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kaliah against the armies of the Philistines. David said, hey guys, we're getting out of the frying pan. Woohoo! And we're jumping into the fire. <laughs> we're already afraid because we have the whole nation, the armies of Israel after us. And now we're going to go down and find an army to get after us? Notice what these guys said. We are constantly living in fear. I'll tell you what. Guys, do, do we understand that's one of the cultural shifts that happened about 10 years ago? Is our nation, our young people, I don't know if it's technology or what, but they are living in fear. There is a gigantic percent of America that are on all kinds of fear medication, anxiety medication, depression medication, because their bodies are breaking down from constantly worrying. The Bible says that, doesn't it? it don't worry, because it causes harm. Well, we know that physiologically now that to be the case, but emotionally. And, and to stay in that state of fear is an unhealthy thing. These guys, their stomachs are hurting them. Anybody got any pepmobismal, you know? Oh, I, I can't eat very much. They're starting to lose weight. I can't sleep very good at night because I keep hearing the bump in the dark, and I think it's a, one of the Israeli soldiers getting ready to chop my head off. So we're, we're already on the edge. We're already barely hanging in there. And now you want <laughs> to take the one straw that's going to break the camel's back and, and, and do that to us? Now, David had to think about this a minute because there's some very serious commands about going to war. In Deuteronomy 28, God told Moses, when you are going out to war, you need to make an announcement. Say to the leaders, if there's any of you if there's any of your men who are fearful or afraid, we will very politely ask you to go home. It's okay. No shame. We just don't want you here. Because that spirit of fear can become contagious. It can bring anxiety. And you, you know, you're, you got to go out and, and give it 100% to fight against the enemy. And if you have some guy next to you falling down going, oh, mommy, mommy, you know, and you're going, ah, ah, you know, you, you can't have that. You got to have brave, courageous guys saying, yes, I may die today, but I'm going to do it 
as somebody who's brave and honorable, and I'm going to go down fighting. Well, here's David's mighty men. (laughs) They would be called later. Can you imagine Joab and all these other mighty men say, David, we're afraid. Don't make us. So notice what David does. Actually, I'd like to stop for a second before we go further and and just say, guys, take a moment. In a few years, 2 Samuel 23, if you're not on my notes with your app, or you can go to Deuteronomy 20, or excuse me, 2 Samuel 23. So we're going from 1 Samuel 23 all the way to 2 Samuel 23. And it tells us this in verse 8. God says, I want to tell you about these mighty men of valor. These men that are telling David, I'm afraid. I'm just going to give you a short list. There's a lot of other stories, too many stories to tell. I'm thinking of Adino, he says in verse 8. This guy went down, and he started fighting, and the armies fled. But he persisted, and he killed 800 men at one time. Do you realize the only guy that ever did better than that was Samson? He killed 1,000 with the jawbone of a donkey? Man, what just to sit there and watch that. I, I used to read army books and stuff, and uh, there's one about the Green Berets and a guy watching a group of Green Berets down below during Vietnam and uh, hand-to-hand combat, and he described it. It was just amazing to see these guys, like you wouldn't want to be near those guys when they're going fighting crazy because they're just killing people with this hand and poking their eye out here and just... This guy is just 800 men. Amazing. And then we see in verse 9 and 10, there's a guy by the name of Eleazar. He was left by himself because the armies fled. But he stayed in place, and he fought, and he fought until all the enemies were dead, and he could not release his hand from the sword. He goes back going, guys, I'm in trouble here. They start massaging it and, you know, working on it. And I don't know if it took many hours or a day or two, but finally, oh, his hand. I mean, imagine the pure determination to hold on something past what your body can really do. But yet he did it. And the Lord gave him a great victory. And then in verse 11 and 12, there's this guy named Shama. And he stood in the lentil fields. They said, hey, guys, your part is the lentil fields. Don't let the enemy get past you. How many of you guys like lentil beans? How many of you guys like lentil beans? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's like, let them have the lentil beans. I'll go protect the corn. <laughs> but he's there in the lentil bean field. And they come rushing at them, and everybody started running. And he's like, hey, we got to stay right here. And he digs into that little field, and he stayed right there. And he fought, and he fought. And around him were hundreds of dead Philistines. And yet he stayed there and held his part. Then there's three mighty men. These guys who are now saying, I'm so afraid. David was at war with the Philistines and they had taken over Bethlehem and, and, and David is there and he goes, oh man, you know, growing up as a kid, I have never tasted better water than that well in the middle of Bethlehem city. Man, what would I give for some of that water right now? He was just talking as guys do. But three of his guys that are afraid at this moment, they're like, David wants water, we'll get water. They went down and took on the entire armies of the Bethlehem, of the Philistines in Bethlehem, and fought them back and, and got David some water and then brought it back. And they're like, where have you been? What's the commotion? 
oh, we just want to get you some water. And David was like, these guys are fearless, stupidly so. <laughs> I can't drink this water when they could have died trying to get me water. How am I going to go tell their wife that? And so he dumps it out as an offering to God, and he doesn't drink it. And then there was a guy we find in verse 20 and 21, Benaniah. He fought two lion-like men. I wrestled in high school badly, but I wrestled. But I've seen some of these wrestlers, you know, like 13-year-old kids with muscles on top of muscles. They looked like they should be in the circus or something. And, and, and I'll tell you, it's, it's pretty amazing how people can get so strong and buff and focused that their, their, their bodies change in such a way that they're just made to do nothing else but fight. Or these wrestlers, they were made. They couldn't, they couldn't play tennis. They couldn't play basketball. They couldn't swim, but all they could do is wrestle. But boy, they're fierce in wrestling. Well, he took on these two lion-like men and won against both of them. But after that, he comes up to this town. I'm adding a little to the story. And they said, help us. There's a lion that's attacking us and the sheep and everything. We're afraid. And, and we dug a hole and it fell in the hole, but he's going to get out of that hole. We, we don't know what to do. But it was in the winter time, and it was freezing, and there was snow. And it says that Benaniah slipped and sl slided his way down into a hole where there's a very mad lion. And he took on the lion in the pit on a snowy day. I, I don't know how else to describe courage, bravery. Well, outside of that, he was going for a walk one day, trying to get his 10,000 steps in. <laughs> and there was this Egyptian who wanted to come down to Israel and take on some of these mighty men. And he was a spectacular Egyptian, a giant guy with a giant spear. And Benaniah, all he had was his walking stick. And the guy starts coming at him, no problem. With just that staff, he was able to fight against that spectacular Egyptian warrior. And he took that spear eventually out of his hand, and he killed that man with his own spear. We're going to come back to this chapter at a later point and talk much more about it. But it's hard to imagine that just a few years earlier, this mighty men of cowardice, <laughs> they were mighty cowards. With the hand of God, with the spirit-filled leader, with the spirit-filled captain, eventually king, who was not afraid, not even of the biggest of their warriors, giants like Goliath, that his faith rubbed off on them. Fire begets fire, doesn't it? That's why Paul tells Timothy, don't fool around with lukewarm Christians. Get with on fire Christians who are seeking God out of a pure heart. And just once you find a guy like that, don't let him go. And then get three of you, four of you, because fire begets fire. And these men would do far more mighty acts than what we just read about. Well, in verse four, so David inquired of the Lord, once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kaliah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. Now, I'd like you to take a note of David learning to be a leader. He heard from God about leaving Moab to go to Judah, and everybody followed. But this time around, the guys are coming and saying, David, you know what? unless this is really, really, really the Lord this time, it's foolish. It's foolish. I mean, there's sometimes you say, oh, let's go do that. And it's like, best case scenario, it's okay. Worst case scenario, ah, there really isn't one. Or, you know, it's a very minimal, if it, it's not the right decision, it's a very minimal negative thing that would happen. 
But then there's those times, it's like, you make those decisions, well, best case scenario, it's huge, but worst case scenario is huger. <laughs> and you just stop. And, 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 I, and I love this about David. He, as a little boy, and all through these years, had learned to know the voice of God, had learned to know the heart of God. And he was quite confident when the Lord spoke to him. But notice his style of leadership here. He doesn't say, guys, there is no discussion. I heard from God, end of story. I don't think that's the nature of God. I think when we make decisions that God takes into account that we're human. And even though God may have clearly spoke to one or two or three, or in this case, the, the leader, the main leader, or in our church, the senior pastor, that his position would not be that of a dictator saying, I heard from God, end of story, nothing else to discuss. He in, he in essence says, I'm pretty sure, but you guys aren't. So let's give it a little more time and see what the Lord speaks. Proverbs 11:14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fell. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In Proverbs 15:22, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Do we get this? God has designed that there isn't just one guy saying, God says, end of story. God's design is, yes, hear from me. But it's okay if you question it. And it's okay if others question it. And we need to go back and, and seek the Lord again until we are confident it's the Lord. You, you know what I've discovered? Is that if we pray as Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that's a prayer God answers. And God will get us there one way or the other. We'll see his sovereign hand. Just a week ago or so, we got to go see our youngest grandbaby, three months old or four months old, five months old. They keep growing quicker. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> and we were coming back from Washington, and there's a guy that was an elder at our church for, I don't know, 25 years, Phil Magnin. And uh, he's in Lincoln, Lincoln, Oregon, and we were trying to hook up. You know, I just had a long drive, had to get back, but we were just trying to, he was going to leave Lincoln and travel an hour or two and meet us halfway. And, but we just couldn't make it because we were get, leaving later and later and it was getting late. And we tried. I mean, we were just trying so hard because we really sensed it was the Lord that we get together. Finally, we just gave up. So I get on the app and uh, or get on the, the thing, and I go on Priceline.com or whatever. They owe me for uh, uh, some, what's that called when you, you, you sponsor them? Priceline.com. There you go. Kayak, whatever. And I got a hotel, and now it's like 9.15 at night. We're exhausted. We've been traveling like eight hours. And, and uh, I go in to the, the Hilton there, Hilton Express, and uh, Holiday, excuse me, Holiday Express, and they said, uh, all our computers are completely down. We can't check anybody out. We can't check any in. We don't even know who's in, what rooms are even empty. So bye-bye. That's the last thing I wanted to hear. And so I go next door to the Comfort Inn. And they gave me a great discount. Cheaper yet, and nicer room, and great breakfast. And so I went in there, and we had a great night's sleep, and end up sleeping in late. And I, you know, blurry eyed, I go in about nine o'clock. The breakfast ends at 9 30. And, uh, and it's empty, the place is empty. And I'm walking in, and I'm looking at this table, and I'm like, this, my eyes are tricking me, but it was Phil and Diane. And they were walking out of the breakfast area. And I'm like, what are you guys doing here? They said, well, we, we started thinking about going down to where we were at. I can't remember the name place. It was be a fun idea. So we just left for the weekend. And I'm like, but it was amazing because 
I, I knew when I left the other hotel, I'm like, you know, my knee-jerk reaction is, why me, Lord? No, but I just thought, okay, Lord, you're in charge. You, you shut doors, open doors. That's what you do. And, and we were just sitting there going, had I got the hotel that I paid for, <laughs> God crashed their whole computer system, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Get a cheaper deal at the other. Had I been 30 seconds later going to Breftis, I would have missed them. And we were just sitting there going, wow, we, we just need to take a moment, let goosebumps go up our arms and our backs and know that, man, it, it's true. Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He's gonna get us there. And so David doesn't have to push and stress and strive. In James 3, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it with the meekness of wisdom. David doesn't have a heavy hand. He says, let me go back to prayer, guys. In James 3.17, it says, the wisdom that is from above, the thing I want to point out, it says it's willing to yield. So David goes back to the Lord. And the Lord this time says, yep, still the same answer. And let the guys know, I'm going to let you know something. You already won. Just go fight. The battle's already won. The Philistines are going to be delivered into your hand. And so David comes back and says, yep, God still says go. Oh, but he also said, we are for sure going to win. Yay! <laughs> and so they head on down. And in verse 5, and David and his men went to Kaliah and fought with the Philistines and struck with the mighty blow. And they took away the livestock. And David saved the inhabitants of Kaliah. End of story. Now, verse 6, now it happened. When Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Kaliah, that he went down with the ephod in his hand. So, quick little footnote before we go on to the next section here, which is just two more, or just a few more verses here. He says, before we go to those next few verses, footnote, when Abathar left. Now, remember they came, Saul's forces came in and started killing everybody in the city, probably one of the priests grabbed the high priest ephod, which was blue rather than white, like the regular Levite. And it had 12 stones on his chest, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he probably stuck it in a bag and he gave it to Abathar and he opened the back of the tabernacle and said, run, don't let him get this. Don't let this go to, and so he just took off running. He's the only guy that made it out of that city alive. And he came down to David, and David said, I'll take care of you. Well, they're now, uh, he just wanted you to know he has that. Now, one of the things that's believed, and this is by the rabbinical writings, not in the Bible, but we do know in the Bible there was a Urim and a Thummim, which was something that helped the priest to know the will of God. Now, the rabbinical teaching says it's a black stone and a white stone. It was kept in a bag, and it was kept in the ephod or the apron, of the high priest. And so when they were in really bad shapes and they, they could ask a yes or no question, and they would then pull out a rock, white, yes, black, no. And so just put that away for one second here in verse seven now. And Saul was told that David had gone to Kaliah. So Saul said, God this is how delusional he is. God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in my, by entering a town that has gates and bars. David just put himself right into a nice little box for me to kill him. This is so awesome. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's just, it's just bizarre how men can deceive themselves even though they're so out of the will of God, yet somehow God's still using them and speaking to them and working in them. And we know that's 100% not the case with Saul. Jesus said it this way, many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, open the gates also unto me. And he says, I don't know you. Oh man, I prophesied in your name. 
I did miracles in your name. I cast demons in your name. Jesus didn't disagree that he used them mightily, but he said, you never did my will. You're doers of iniquity. Depart from me. And they went into outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. It doesn't say there's a couple of Saul's. It says there's going to be a lot of Saul's who are living sinfully, living after their flesh, living according to the dictates of their own hearts and not living truly an obedient, submitted life to Christ who still think, as it says in the Deuteronomy, the drunkard believes he's sober. <laughs> the drunkard believes he'll be counted with the sober. And so there's going to be a lot of drunken Christians thinking they're going to be like the sober Christians going into heaven. But in reality, they're living for themselves. So Saul here is so deceived, but yet this is how he's viewing life as God is still taking care of him and going to help him defeat this horrible, evil enemy of his, David. So Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Clyde to besiege David and his men. Do you remember we talked about this last week where Saul, for the glory of God, wouldn't go destroy the Amalekites, but for his own glory, he would go wipe out the priests at Nob. And now I think here is what we're looking at is the people said, save us. And Saul says, ah, I don't want to gather the army together. That's too much work. Oh, all the way to Kaliah, man. That, they, those guys shouldn't be living there anyway. Bunch of idiots. They should come on in closer. Nah, oh, oh, nah, nah, I'm not feeling it today. <laughs> and then they go to David and David goes down. But now, all of a sudden, guess what? I can go kill David, not too far away. Got tons of energy. Let's go, get everybody together. He wouldn't go fight against the Philistines for his own people, but he'll go fight against David, the truly anointed of God. He is a man who is living according to the dictates of his own heart and then saying, the dictates of my own heart are God's will foolish. He's deceived. He's a hypocrite. Well, in verse 9, so David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, and he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. So interesting, now it seems that earlier when the issue of Kaliah came, it says David inquired of the Lord. It seems that David was spending a season in prayer over this issue of Kaliah. He was wrestling over this issue with Kaliah. That God didn't just say, ask, here's the answer. David was asking and keep on asking. He was seeking and keep on knocking, seeking and keep knock and keep on knocking. And then the Lord opened the door finally as he wrestled with the Lord. The Lord spoke to him to go to Kaliah. But now he can't do that. He's like, this is a thing I need to know now. And so in this dispensation of time, remember, they didn't have the whole Bible the way we do. Matter of fact, there was only one Bible, and that was at the tabernacle. They definitely didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have very much light. And so God says, here's my word. I'm going to give the high priest the Urim and the Thummim. And it was there for a season. When the Israeli came back from Babylon, we never hear about the Urim and Thummim again. It seems to have disappeared. Probably before, like during the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, it had disappeared. But it was around at this time. And, well, Abathar, um, you're not only the high, only priest, <laughs> you're the high priest, well, how am I the high priest? Because there's no other Levites. They've all been killed, at least from that area. There were Levites scattered throughout Israel in the cities of refuge. And so put on that high priest garment, Abathar. And I'm going to ask a yes or no question from God. And I need you to do what the high priest would do. Whoa, what a responsibility for such a young teenage boy. So David said, Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kaliah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kaliah deliver me into his hand? Stone. 
Will Saul come down at your servant has heard? Another stone. O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. So then it looks like the Lord then spoke to David. So he's using this stone thing and he's like, oh, got to ask a better yes or no question. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very good at this. And, and then he just finally says, okay, just Lord, just come on, just tell me, is, is this happening? Yes, he's coming down. And then David said, okay, let's try the rocks again. Okay, will the men of Kaliah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. This, this tells us about something about David. Because the Lord continually tells us to not expect man to bless us the way they should. And when man fails you, vain is the help of man. The time you need man the most, he will fail you the most. It says in John 2, Jesus says, he put his life into no man's hands, for he knew what was in all men. You know how they make those movies of the gospels and stuff? I, I always thought it would be cool when they're saying, crucify him, crucify him that they would pan the audience. And there's the woman who was caught in act of adultery saying, crucify him. Here's the guy that was blind and see saying, crucify him. Here's the multitude that ate the, the loaves and the fish and they're all shouting, crucify him. Because they wanted to please the priests of that time, the Sanhedrin, to go along with the crowd. Jesus didn't do something and then expect men to meet the same way. Jesus says, for as you, yes, love one another as you would want to be loved. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but don't expect it. So David very rightly here said, now, normally, you, you know, I save their lives. I don't even need to ask. I just saved you guys. You guys would be dead right now if it wasn't for me. So surely you'll protect me from Saul. And God says, David, no, man is going to disappoint you. We're going to see. David did not expect that. Jesus taught us love, expecting nothing in return. Give, expecting nothing in return. Jesus says, well, when you give, just don't want it on earth. Ask God to not reward you here on earth, but store it up in heaven. That's where you're going to have it forever. But yet so often we're like, well, I did this, I did that. God, you owe me a answer to prayer. God, I did this and that, and now it's your turn to do it for me. Remember last year when I helped you move? Remember that? Because I had that strained lower back for a week. Well, I need to move. I need you to help me. Oh, I'd love to, but I'm washing my hair Saturday. <laughs> well, I can't believe these Christians, they make me so mad. This is just the nature of man. The, the, the man is a sinner. Man daily comes short of the glory of God, and he comes short to meeting your needs. And David here, he doesn't get all bitter and upset and freak out. David, it just says in verse 13 as we finish here, and David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Kaliah and went wherever they could go. And then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kaliah. So he halted his expedition. I have no desire to go for any other reason than for my reason. And now that my reason to go down there is not there, forget it. I don't care for anything else. I'd like to make a point here. David says, Lord, is Saul coming to Kaliah? The Lord who knows the past, present, and future equally says, yes, Saul is going to be coming to Kaliah. Lord, when he is coming, what do you see out there in the future? Do these people of Kaliah give me over to Saul? Yes, they do. Very disappointing, but yes, they do. When that happens, is Saul going to kill me? David, I'm looking into the future here. Yes, He's going to kill you. 
Well, I guess it doesn't matter what I do because I'm dead. God already saw the future for me. He told me what the future is and it's hopeless. I'm dead. No, what does David do? David says, I'm getting out of here then. <laughs> what do we learn? Is that God's understanding of the future, it's not already made. He knows what it is. God knows the future, but God doesn't make the future. And here's an important thing. Our free will matters. You see, sometimes people get themselves into this thought pattern going, well, God knows everything, so it really doesn't matter what I do because whatever's going to happen, it's destined to happen. That, that's, that's paganism. There's two theological thoughts. One is called Arminianism. It focuses on the free will of man. And it gives little credence and little attention to predestination and election. It's really saying, man, do you got it's all on you. You got to do it. Yeah, God, God, yeah, God's helping you out. Don't, don't count on that. You work things out. Be diligent. And there's such a pressure on man. Now, the other theological stance is the Calvinist. And their predestination, this, election, this. And they basically, if you follow that way of thinking, it's sort of like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And it really doesn't do a very good way of explaining the free will of man. And so... If you listen to that side of things, that Calvinist side of things, it's sort of like God already knows what's going to happen. So if you pray, it's going to happen. If you don't pray, the same thing's going to happen. So since the future's already destined, it doesn't really matter if I obey or disobey, go to church, don't go to church, pray, don't pray because what's going to happen, God already knows, it's already done. We discover in this story, uniquely so, that is not true. There was a definite future that God saw. But David's prayers changed that possible future. So you say, well, Brian, I'm, I'm confused. Yes, that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. Is, is you can't, we, we can't put them together here on earth. The Bible's not given us enough information. Our brains aren't smart enough, not even Einstein's. The fact is, the Bible gives two clear truths. One is you have a free will, and it counts. It matters. Your prayers matter. Reading the Bible matters. Living obedient life, Christ, it matters, and it, what you sow is what you're going to reap. He who prays much is going to see the hand of God much. He who meditates in the word God, in God's word day and night, is going to prosper much more than the guy who doesn't. Now, on the other side over here, God knows everything? Yep. <laughs> he sees the end from the beginning equally? Yep. Well, how do you put them together? Because God already saw the answer to my prayer before I prayed it, so do I really need to pray it? And this is where it's like, guys, you can't put these two thoughts together. I like the way Francis Schaeffer explained it. He said it's like two pillars. You got the pillar of the free will of man on over here, this big giant pillar. For you from the south, it's not the thing you sleep on, okay? It's, uh, it's the Roman thing. Um, and so you got another pillar over here. <laughs> you got another pillar over here. That's the, the election. And Francis Schaeffer says they both start going straight up, but then right as they start to head into the clouds, they turn a tiny bit. And you know, if you could go high enough, oh, the clouds are blocking it, that they eventually come together. And he says, when it comes to these two truths, we see in part and we know in part. But when we get to heaven, at the throne of God, all things will be known and we'll understand that. 
But until then, we need to walk in obedience as if all depends upon us. We need to seek God and trust God as if all depends upon him. But it's so crucially important that Satan doesn't rob you thinking that your free will is minimal and it's all the time being overpowered by the predestination and election of God. So yeah, my free will, it's, you know, it's this little tiny wheel. But then you got the big giant Mack truck wheel and, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not that way, guys. You receive not because what? You ask not. And so it's important, guys, that we give ourselves to the work and the will of God. Serve the Lord. Serve the body of Christ. Be a light in the world, a salt in the earth. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Whatever you need, ask. All these other things will come into place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you know what happens? As you go to seek the Lord in the word, you realize, oh, the things I don't want to do, I can't do. The things I do want to do, I can't. Oh, help me, Lord. And as I seek, I realize I am so sinful. I don't have the spiritual energy to seek God every day. But as I step out in faith, the power of God will meet me. Right? Just like the, all the people where Jesus said, be it unto you according to your faith. I'm so afraid, God, I don't want to be witness to that guy. If I witness to that guy, he might tell me to get away from him or he doesn't like me anymore. But you step out to be a warrior, a mighty man of God and say, Jesus loves you. Well, I hate you. I told you, God, you know, whatever it is, Jesus loves you. He wants to save you. Man, that takes courage, doesn't it? I don't know why. It's spiritual. But if you step out in faith, God will meet you, and the power of the Holy Spirit will be upon you. Go into the world and make disciples. Well, I'm just sitting around waiting for the predestination of God to help me make a disciple. No. He already told you. Do it. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your word today and how powerful it is always. And we ask now that you would, by your grace and the power of your spirit, hide it deep into our hearts that we would not sin against you. And we thank you for these stories that bring out such powerful illustrations of such powerful New Testament truths. Glorify yourself now in us and through us. We need you, Lord. Mm-hmm.